When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a member of the Burke Reviews podcast family. BurkeReviews.com Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the bloody awesome movie podcast, your friendly dose of the movie month just gone. My name is Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk, and joining me today is the statesman to my kingsman, <laughs> uh, John Burke uh, from BurkeReviews.com. How you doing, John? I'm doing pretty well, Matt. How about yourself? Not bad, thank you. There's There's been an awful lot happening in, in the world of John. Uh, and in the last episode, you mentioned you went off to South by Southwest. Yeah. How was that? And how was the festival? How was your month in general? Um, it was a really cool experience going to South by. Uh, I got to see, I think, 22 movies from the festival. Wow. Yeah, it was... I didn't see as many as I actually thought I was going to. I had a few friends that um, showed up in Austin, and I had to give them some of my of my time, which... I don't regret at all, but it did uh, take me out of a few movies that I'd wanted to see. Um, but I saw some amazing films. All of my reviews are up, of course, at BurkeReviews.com, as well as a couple of uh, bonus episodes of the podcast where I just kind of ran through um, what I liked about the festivals. So, Yeah, if you get a chance, go and check them out, um, especially the movie reviews from the, f- from the festival, because there's a few that may or may not get a wide release or... Mm-hmm. any kind of release at all so um yeah. you'll be educating yourself on certain films there and the uh, mr rogers film uh, premiered as well did you get to catch that at all i did yeah won't you be my neighbor um is there a, it premiered at sundance and then it came to south by it's actually going to be screening at our florida film festival here in orlando from april 6th through uh, april 15th is the festival i don't remember which day it's at our festival but um i love that movie i i was you know i was a fan of mr rogers growing up as a kid and um the film is so hopeful and optimistic and then it reminds you that um this time has passed because fred rogers is dead and that makes you sad so uh (laughs) it's optimistic and yet um there is that kind of uh sobering moment when you realize that this optimism is kind of gone and that makes then you realize like the state of the the world we're currently living in and it kind of it hits pretty hard at the end like we need somebody like fred rogers to come back and bring joy into our world again because that dude was constantly optimistic and honest and just really really amazing um what he did with uh television you know that would be nice by the way i need, i laughed because of the bluntness of your expression not yes. because of the news by the way um <laughs> yeah i mentioned that film solely because this for the since the festival that's probably the one film i've seen on social media getting the most buzz mainly because uh, of the message within and obviously Mr. Rogers himself and what he stood for. But yeah. um, so I've heard so much about that film and 
uh, I've mentioned before on the the pre-South by Southwest festival that being British, I wasn't. Um, we didn't really see Mr. Rogers oh. over here, um, but I'm aware. I've I have seen a few of his episodes, and I'm aware of what he did and his fantastic array of jumpers. But mm. if I do get a chance, <laughs> I, w- I will catch that catch that film if I can. Yeah, it's it's a really excellently made documentary too. Like aside from the sentimental elements of the film, and even for me, a little bit of the nostalgia from my childhood. Um, it is, it's just a really well put together documentary, has a really compelling narrative. Um, and it's a, it's a compelling story, like what he accomplished in his life and how he was able to do it and how he stayed true to his, uh, core values throughout is really amazing. Well, it sounds like something to definitely check out. And there was, um, John, I know definitely got one night's good sleep because he didn't, he wasn't, he didn't get around to catching hereditary. And Uh, I know he was, um, absolutely terrified of seeing that. I, you know, I was more terrified of the people after the movie than I was <laughs> of the movie itself because I am, I'm a little skittish around like a lot of people, and then uh, it was gonna be like two a.m. I think when the movie would have ended, and I'm already kind of like skeptical of getting in an Uber and a Lyft, and I had to use those every day, but like getting in an Uber or Lyft at like two a.m. and even. Like, my idea was, like, waiting outside of a business that's closing, and who knows, you know, maybe it's only five minutes, maybe it's 20 minutes before the Uber guy picks me up, and I'm abducted and killed in Austin, and uh, I could not convince myself to, uh, I didn't see a single midnight screening of any of the movies um, (laughs) because of that reason, because I was just like, well, what, you know, people are going to be super drunk, because it's two o'clock, that's when bars start closing, so people are going to be walking out of bars, and I just, I didn't want to deal with, uh, what my head probably made a far worse situation than what was real. <laughs> but yeah, um, I have that same fear going into Tribeca next month about New York City. And uh, luckily, all the critic screenings are in the daytime. So um, I, I won't have that fear of like walking out of a, a theater at two o'clock in the morning to who knows what. So just get back to your hotel room, put your cup of hot chocolate on and you'll be just fine. Pajamas on. Exactly. That's, that's, that's a good life now. That's that adult life, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. the adventures of going to bars and whatnot have, is no longer appealing to me. Like, I don't mind having a drink, but I don't need the whole experience, you know. It's too much hassle going out and about. It's too cold. Yeah. Well, it's not so cold <laughs> in Austin. It was chilly, mind you, but like, I think at the coldest, it was 48 degrees in Austin. Oh, um, wow. And you've, I've heard you've been uh, snowed in a couple of times over there. We have been, and it's the Easter weekend over here, so apparently we're going to get snowed in again. But the uh, snow we get probably isn't comparable to what you get stateside. Mm. Um, we get a couple of inches, and the railway network shut down, the motorways pretty much close. Everybody goes panic buying to make sure they get, for some reason, enough bread to see them through for a week. That's all they're ever going to eat, by the way, is bread, I think. Oh. Um, so, yeah, the whole country loses its mind for a few days. Yeah. But at the minute, it's just cold and wet, so... um. I think Florida has the upper hand. Yeah, right now it's actually really nice outside today. It's it's uh, overcast, so it's a little dark, but it's like I think sixty five or something outside, which is for us nice. Um, and you know it, the, your blizzard scenario, or well, I guess <laughs> snowed in scenario, sounds like our hurricane scenario, where we clear off the shelves of every single store in our in our community, um, overstock on bottled water so that like no one else can have any, and then we <laughs> hole up in our our house that will easily be destroyed if a tree that's next door falls on it but nonetheless the illusion of safety is there so <laughs> natural selection takes over then but, yeah exactly <laughs> um, I'd, I'd rather have the ice and sugar blizzard than a full-on hurricane um, yeah. you can keep those stateside yeah i, I hate it too. but I, I live in like the 
center of where hurricanes seem to come. So go figure. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure we have enough bottled water to stop your neighbors getting any. Exactly. <laughs> so just on the South by Southwest, was that something you'd be looking to go to next year? Would you would you recommend it to anyone out there wanting to go? I do. Um, I I I definitely think it depends. You got to know yourself. Uh, the the downside of South by Southwest is it's not exclusively a film festival, which could also mm-hmm. be the upside, depending on what your interests are. I was there for the films almost primarily, and so the other things going on were more distractions or a nuisance because there were like people were fighting over space and um, times were conflicting and things like that. And um, I, the one thing about South by two is it is such a spread out festival as far as the films go. Like there's theaters are like 45 minutes apart, like walking and things like that. And that becomes um, hard to navigate and schedule your uh, screenings appropriately. Um, like there were times where I had like a, a two hour gap between movies because I couldn't make it to a screening anywhere in that time frame. And so for that, like, I think it just depends on, on what you're wanting. There are other film festivals that are definitely more focused on film only, mm-hmm. um, like Tribeca in New York. There's are for critics, especially um, Tribeca is the first festival that I'm aware of that they give us separate screening times. Like critics have a screening time during the day. And then the evening screens are general where anybody can buy tickets to go. But, critics are guaranteed access to these movies and that's not something I've seen at any other festival. So, um, I haven't been to that one yet, but it like, I like that. I know I'm getting into those where South, uh, South by there was a chance that you show up and you're not getting in because you're too late or there's too many people. Um, and press got no advantage. Like my badge was the same as everybody else's badge. Um, oh, wow. so that that's, you know, cause again, it's more of a fest. It's literally like a festival. It's like a carnival, of you know, because there's music and there's video game stuff. There's conferences, keynote speakers. Um, I kind of wish I'd gone to some of the keynotes because like Ethan Hawke spoke. Uh, um, Darren uh, Darren Aronofsky came uh, like the second day and spoke. That would have been cool. It would have been so cool. And I didn't know about it till I was already like in a screening, and I was like, "What? I didn't even." <laughs> um, and but the other thing too with South by being so big, almost every movie has a Q and A with some of the filmmakers. Uh, some was just a producer or two, but most had at least the director. Some had cast, and that was really cool. Like, I, I got to see 8th Grade, and Bo Burnham came out, and he brought the actress up on stage, too, and they talked about the whole process of making the movie, and it was a really cool experience um, that was just included with the, the movie. You know, there was no extra cost. There was no additional fees or anything like that, and that was pretty awesome. Um, and that's something I think you get at South By or Sundance, where these prestigious festivals and the filmmakers are actually coming to present the movie versus like just submitting it and seeing what happens that's cool i guess it just adds to the experience as well um Mm -hmm. obviously i was aware of south by southwest before um you mentioned it primarily also um partly because of the film song to song from last year which i hated the terence malick film (laughs) i couldn't make it through you caught that or not i I couldn't make it through it yeah i tried on prime i watched it with my wonderful partner um and we both struggled we're having a almost having a, a race to see who could fall asleep first. It was <laughs> awful. And I don't mind Terrence Malick's earlier work, like most people should. But that one, I think Night of Cups, were, oh, uh. song to song was... Dr- and think who's in it as well. I know they didn't say anything for the whole film, pretty much, but yeah, Rooney Mara and Ryan Gosling and... Um, Fassbender. King of crap movies at the minute, Michael Fassbender. <laughs> song, it was just horrible. Yeah, what he is making some really bad movie choices. Um, 
God, it's he's, so crazy. Uh, he's, he's on the Bruce Willis train, I think, at the minute. Yeah, but he's still he's giving it the movie a hundred percent though. Like you can't watch Assassin's Creed and say he's not trying really hard, but the movie's so. I guess bad. he didn't. He didn't have to try too hard in the Snowman. He just grimaced and grumbled for quite I, a bit of the time. Yeah, I still haven't seen that because I've heard how bad it was. Um, it's, I not, actually, it's, barely, it's barely finished. If you watch it, it doesn't. Ha- it, it has a quality that it's not particularly because the script was only eighty percent complete apparently, oh. and I think they just riffed the rest of it. But oh man. It's just a horrendous. Cause I was looking forward to that. The trailers really sucked me in. Me too. The premise I thought was great, but it was ho- horrible. Yeah, I was really hoping for like a new Silence of the Lambs type of movie. Exactly. And I've heard not not at all. So. <laughs> no, it's uh, it just ugh. If you if you if you're in a mood one night or you just really want to punish yourself <laughs> legally, watch that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's. I think that and sadly it will happen, especially. If that ever ends up on like Netflix or HBO or um, Amazon Prime, I'm definitely gonna end up watching that and you know torturing myself with uh yeah. with Don't Harry Hole especially to look for it. Harry Hole, oh yeah. Like, yeah. Not only is it a ridiculous name, it doesn't do anything. <laughs> it's so bad. I know. Well, uh, for for the bloody awesome movie podcast, what we do is John and myself we look back at the previous month's major releases, we discuss our thoughts and opinions on them. So, um, without further ado, can you please reveal the lineup, John, for March, please? Yes, so what we saw in March, we saw Red Sparrow, A Wrinkle in Time, Tomb Raider, Pacific Rim Uprising, Isle of Dogs, and Steven Spielberg's new film, Ready Player One. I have a feeling that this is going to be a mixed bag of views. Um, yeah. But, but March has been, I think, a good month overall in movies. You've got the films you just mentioned... Uh, things like You Were Never Really Here, Gringo came out, um, Veronica that. came out on Netflix, which I enjoyed. I need to see that. Uh, I did see it. It will scare you. Oh, yeah, I've heard it's like supposed to be really terrifying. Yeah, it was it was pretty creepy, um, but I think there's no horses in it, but I think you'll still be scared. <laughs> but, yes. Um, and before we launch into our thoughts, by the way, just be aware that we won't be diving into any spoilers for any of the movies. Nope. Uh, we may discuss elements of the plot that don't give anything major away, but, you know, settle down, grab your tea, beer, some fruit water, and just prepare for some spoiler-free talk. Yeah, just uh, kind of our overall thoughts on the films, and uh, I think from what I've been keeping up with your site, that we have a lot of conflicting opinions this month um, on the movies. Yeah, this month we do. Last month we were kind of on yeah. the... On the level, for the most part, apart from one movie, I think. We both didn't like Fifty Shades Freed, though. No. Um, but this month, I think, is going to be a, you know, conflicting. We may have to have a friendly debate over the over yeah. the Skype. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that said, let's dive into the first movie of the show, which is uh, Red Sparrow. Um, John, take us away with your thoughts. Sure. Um, it was better than I kind of expected it to be. Um, that said, I still didn't love it. Uh, the trailer made me very, very hesitant of Jennifer Lawrence's Russian accent, um, <laughs> which I I wasn't as annoyed by once the film was going. I still don't think it's a good accent, but it's better than it could have been. Um, I still I'm a Joel Edgerton fan, despite some of the things he said in the, about the media, and um, I liked him in this movie quite a bit. Uh, it wasn't exactly the movie I was expecting it to be. It's not an action spy movie. You know, it's that slow burn spy thriller. And there's some um, there's some elements that I thought were interesting. Some I didn't feel paid off as well as they tried to make you think they did. Um, but overall, I, I found it an enjoyable, maybe not enjoyable, 
a good movie <laughs> um, that had some moments where I was like, oh, interesting. But, and again, that's keeping spoilers, because I could say exactly what made me say interesting, but I would completely ruin the whole movie for anyone who hadn't seen it. So. <laughs> what did Joel Edgerton say about the media, by the way? Have I, have I missed that? He, t- he talked crap about film critics um, that uh, because of Bright. It was in response to Bright and the, the negative cr- criticism of Bright. Um, I forgot exactly what it said. If he, if he said that critics are out of touch or that I don't make movies for film critics or something like that. Oh, um, I've, I've read something similar. I think he said he doesn't make film films for the critics, yeah. Well, yeah, well, that, that's not talking crap. I mean, he don't make films for us. We, you know, we're film lovers just like any other person. Um, the difference is we are more attuned to what makes something good in our own perspective. You know, yet it's still subjective, of course, but I think yeah. uh, we're able to articulate why we like or dislike something usually better than someone who just casually watches films. Oh, yeah, and um, there are probably a lot of people out there who did like Bright, Um a lot of people like me thought it was horrible. So, um, yeah. and it, you know, that for the amount of money Netflix spent and the amount of marketing they pushed, it just wasn't a very good film. But uh, on Red Sparrow, I really enjoyed this more than I thought I would. Um, after Atomic Blonde last year, which I thought was okay without being great, uh, I was slightly wary of another spy thriller set in the Eastern Bloc. But this surprised me. Um, I, 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 hadn't, I didn't have any doubt about Jennifer Lawrence given a good performance because she generally is superb whatever you think of her off screen on screen she always brings it and she really did in this film she gives a no no pun intended she gives a real naked performance um <laughs> and after after mother it's good to see her sort of continue and doing those types of films yeah now see, um, i was a big fan of mother um which a lot of people were not and i'm i'm kind of a contrarian to uh her i don't think she's as good as we say like I feel like she got too much praise too early because of Silver Linings Playbook. Mm-hmm. Um, I still haven't seen Winter's Bone, which I hear she's excellent in that. Uh, but I I I thought she did a good job with this movie. Um, I don't always like her, so again, that's I think saying something more that I did enjoy her performance. Um, but I don't know. It still felt like something was just just missing uh, to make this an exceptional film or even like a, mm-hmm. a really good film that I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this unless you are a big Jennifer Lawrence fan, or if you just generally like spy thrillers. Um, I, I think it's competent. You know, I think there's, there's enough here to make you find joy in it, but I don't think it's something that you should rush out and see unless again, those things appeal to you. I never thought anyone would use the word joy in relation to this film. Cause it's a pretty glum movie. You're right. You're right. It's a real slow burner. It takes its time. But what I did like about it was, for me, every scene felt necessary or vital. There wasn't a lot of filler there for me. It did teeter on the edge sometimes of becoming convoluted. Yeah. Um, but, but but it stayed on the right track, I thought. Um, it's it's unashamedly open about its violence, its gore, sex and nudity. It's, if you are slightly faint-hearted, then there will be scenes in there which will make you wince or turn away um but i thought i thought it was a fantastic movie i really did enjoy it um i think don't worry about black widow this is a spy movie we needed at the minute i think hmm. i i would like a black widow film though i'd like to see the take <laughs> yeah. um, i'll be interested to see how it how it how it uh plays out compared to something like this or atomic blonde which are kind of uh, that word again but the grittier sort of more grounded types. 
yeah, Atomic Blonde. I thought I had more fun watching that because of the action, um, mm-hmm. like the the stairwell fight scene in Atomic Blonde made it all of those other scenes really really vital. And I heard some interesting comparisons uh, because of the sexuality that both of the spies exhibit in the film. Um, that the way uh, the director, I think something Lawrence, um, Francis Lawrence, Francis Lawrence, uh, frames some of the shots with Lawrence with Jennifer Lawrence. Um, feels more exploitative than what you get in Atomic Blonde. Um, like a lot of times when you're seeing nudity in Atomic Blonde, it's her icing her wounds. You know, she's going into the mm-hmm. bathtub, and then that one scene of sexuality in Atomic Blonde was very passionate and felt very. Um, it it was justified why it was there. I think it was a. Uh, I always mess up her name. I think Christy Puchko, uh, who is a member of the Slash Film Cast, mm-hmm. and a she writes for like twenty different film site so i don't know which one her uh, her uh, red sparrow article is on but she uh she made some really interesting points about um the director's choices in red sparrow making it more exploitative than not um with the, how he framed the shots and uh even like there's a, a sex scene in the movie that is framed from the side and it, it feels almost voyeuristic the way we're watching it and i don't know um i i thought christy made some really good points yeah it is it's a very raw film, which, mm. as I mentioned about her, uh, Lawrence's performance, she also gives her a raw performance. She's not afraid to bear all. There is that exploitative side to it. Uh, but um, for me, Red Sparrow wasn't simply just a tale of using sex as a weapon. It is mainly. But um, it's also a strong story of a woman basically deciphering the needs and weaknesses of these powerful men and mm. just systematically bringing them down. So for yeah. me, it it didn't feel exploitative to the point where it was just for the sake of it. It felt like it was necessary to the, to the overall narrative of the film and her character arc. And I will say too, that it is, it does feel a little long. It's two hours and 20 minutes, I think. And it, I felt it's a long film. I felt every minute of that. So <laughs> <laughs> it would, I think, um, I also thought if you watched it alongside something like notorious by the, great alfred hitchcock that has similarities to that as well so that's oh, what wow. i thought during it interesting i've that's um, one that's on my uh my list to still watch i've not seen notorious so um, i would put notorious uh as a better film yeah um as i put most most of hitchcock's films above most others but yeah um i i, I was surprised by red sparrow because i wasn't sure what to expect from it but i came out um i came out happy with what i saw and thought it was a very good film yeah, I, I I liked it. So again, and I went in kind of expecting to not like it. So it won me over enough that I had a positive feeling about it. So. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that in terms of this movie, I rate it slightly higher than you do. Yeah, but both positive on it. Yeah, um, which then takes us to our next film, which <laughs> was A Wrinkle in Time, uh, Ava DuVernay's big budget blockbuster. Yeah. Um I thought this was definitely an ambitious movie because apparently it was deemed too difficult to adapt. I haven't read the book, but apparently it was going to be too challenging to make to a film. And I know they think they made a TV movie of it before. They did. But while the ambition, it's always to be applauded, somebody having a go. For me, it didn't pay off in this film. Um, It was, what I did like was the vivid, vibrant colour palette. It, which made it a happy fantasy atmosphere for the most part. I thought Storm Reid, Levi Miller and Derek McCabe, the three kids in the film, I thought they were brilliant and they carried the movie and were, I thought they were a lot better and more believable than 
the more experienced colleagues. Uh, and the messages in the film, self-belief, love, family, they're all excellent. Yeah. But uh, I, at the, by the end of the film, though, I think ha- the need to have those messages ingrained in you actually took over from the narrative. Um, and in terms of the narrative, it, for me, it was it was a sticky plot. It it was tonally a bit all over the place, um, and it was just a bit. And it was it was muddled and complicated for me. And I didn't particularly like this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I'm on the other side for sure. Um, I agree with almost everything you said up until the the negative stuff. Like I I love the <laughs> messages. I thought actually I enjoyed all the performances. Um, and some surprised me. I am not a big Zach Galifianakis fan. Um, I think we got uh, that Hangover. He was such a shock. Everyone was kind of um, not expecting Hangover to be a success, and it really was funny. And he was like kind of the standout because who knew Zach Galifianakis? Yeah, he uh, was well, the breakout. Yeah, yeah. And since then, um, I've I generally find him to be kind of more obnoxious in the roles that he gets and. Um, I don't think I've seen another movie with him in it where I was really excited that he was in it after I saw it. And uh, when I saw he was in this, and even like in the trailer, we're like, you think I'm joking? And they're like, yeah, kind of. It just seems so bleh, you know? And I ended up actually <laughs> liking that character, even though it makes no sense. And I do want to point that out now, because I do like this movie, but it has major structure problems, as it feels like, and I've used this analogy many times now, but uh, for this movie... That it's like going to a ride at Disney where you get into the little cart and you're going to go scene by scene and there's not necessarily going to be any rhyme or reason why we're in the next location along the journey. But each location is going to be vibrant, beautiful, intriguing. And um, that's where I think I connected with this film where a lot of people seem to be missing. I don't think it's meant to be a traditional narrative. I think our antagonist is storm reed i think she's also the protagonist i think she's fighting herself um everything else in the movie is is just a means of her learning to appreciate who she is and that is obviously one of the messages but i also think that's the real narrative it's not the journey that she's on could is irrelevant is it's not about the location she's going it's about what she's discovering as she goes to them and that's not a traditional narrative you know usually we want a very clear antagonist we want to see a fight. We want to see it pay off um, that the struggle that they've gone through. And I don't think that's what this movie is attempting to do. I think it's really an internal struggle and you can't always visualize that. So you end up having all these, you know, foreign locations and we just jump around and there's, you know, I've heard people complain about some of the, uh, the ways, the way that narratives, this narrative, like, well, how it ends up happening it doesn't always make sense into the mm-hmm. the rules that we've been told in the movie you know like it, it doesn't always establish what the wrinkling is or how it's done and they trim some scenes from the trailer like there's a scene in the trailer where she's holding like a fake ant and she's explaining the wrinkling thing and that's not in the movie at all like we just it just happens and we're just supposed to understand that it's happening and so i can see those complaints being very valid um but at the end of the day, I, I actually had a really good time with this movie. I was smiling, I think, the whole time. I teared up a couple of times, um, the messages. And again, I do have a teenage daughter, so watching a teenage girl struggle with uh, you know finding her place and understanding where she belongs definitely clicked. Um, and yeah, I, I ended up having a blast. And I ought to say, I, Chris Pine might be one of the most underrated male actors because... That dude does good work in everything I've seen him in. 
And I still feel well, like he's overlooked in conversations about like quality actors. What was that film he was in last year? Um, Hell or High Water? Him... No, it was... I think it was Chris Pine. Let's go make myself look really stupid here, but I'm sure it's him and a young girl. Um, I think he won custody over the his daughter, and um, I'm going to find out what that was because he was very good in that. Um, and it was another one of those films where people look at him, look at him, and think, "Wow, was Chris it, Pine's actually quite good as an actor." Was it Chris Evans and Gifted that you're thinking? Yeah, that's the one I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, but yeah, Gifted was great, but um, Chris Pine Chris was in... also very good. Yeah, it's another Chris. There's a lot of Chris's in Hollywood right now, so I, I don't sure fault Chris you. Chris Pine would have been just as good had he been in it. Sure, I, I actually yeah. agree. Um, I don't know if you saw Hell or High Water, though, um, from last... I actually, did. technically did. 2016. And then he was obviously Steve Trevor in Wonder Woman, and he was fantastic in that. Um, and I really enjoyed him in that. I am a big fan of this stupid musical called Into the Woods that most people hate, but um, I loved him in that movie, so... Uh, yeah, and I, I really thought he has a very small role in A Wrinkle in Time, a prominent, mm-hmm. important one, but, you know, he's not on screen very much. Um, and I also like Michael Pena a whole lot in this movie, which um, I am a Michael Pena fan, but uh, he, you know, he shows up for a little bit in this movie and he's he does some pr- pretty good work when he's on the when he gets to the screen time. Yeah, I mean, there was there was one scene you mentioned that you, you said you were, uh, there's one scene I could think of, sorry. Uh, towards the end which was pretty emotional it was pretty heavy um that did hit home but for me the rest of them just did i did like the rest of the uh actors the adult actors i just thought the kids outshone them yeah agree. um i mean oprah oprah winfrey appearing as a near god will be probably one of the most on the nose moments of the year <laughs> that's true that's very true when reese witherspoon turned into a massive cgi lettuce leaf yeah. i just start to question my sanity but um it, it I, I took it as a, it was a fantasy film, so I didn't look too much into that. I didn't. I did also think some of the CGI wasn't great. Um, yeah, uh, there, for Disney and the powers that they have behind them, which that seems to be a trend. Bad. And again, I think if we look at the directors in each of the Disney films that have had bad CG, Black Panther, uh, Thor Ragnarok, and now this, all when those directors it, are indie directors. This is their first mm-hmm. big blockbuster. And yeah, I think they need to maybe work with them in the in the CG department more because I don't think it's as bad. I don't remember anything being as glaring as what we saw in Black Panther or what we saw in Thor Ragnarok um, in Wrinkle in Time. And maybe I'm just too forgiving for like some of the, the looks and stuff. Like I like the way the flower, like the little flower creatures looked and um, the wrinkle. I thought the wrinkle effect was really cool. Um, not like amazing not like the revolutionary visuals yeah, yeah. or anything but I, I i didn't have any major problems except the lettuce leaf was kind of cheesy <laughs> i get i don't know yeah. like, it wasn't but it best. happened it was very strange when it just suddenly just a, she just appeared as this <laughs> flying gem lettuce yeah and for my site you know i rate things um i have like a rubric essentially and i do you must see not quite golden decent <laughs> watch this was a decent watch for me so like it is in the middle run of my pause it's technically the bottom of my positive movies you know like uh the next thing is not a total waste of time which basically means i hated 90 percent of the movie but there was one redeeming quality um this was above that but still it's in the bottom ranking because there were like little things that i wish had been done differently um mindy kaling's character her her character has a really interesting uh character quirk and then it's just like dropped later in the movie and they they Mm -hmm. explain it away with expositional dialogue but at the same time it's like yeah, but why? Why drop that? It was a really cool, like, weird character trait that I would have loved to just 
stick with. And you just, it's almost like you just couldn't think of anything else to write. Plus, the things she's quoting are not as profound as they maybe could have been. Like, she quotes, like, a couple of rappers, which is fine. But, like, she's supposed to know everything that's ever been said. Like, she only pulling modern references seems a little, like, lazy writing, but... Yeah, and I mean, if that's from the book, then obviously, if it's, ta- if it's taken from the uh, adapted novel, then I suppose we can't lay the blame at the filmmaker's feet. But mm-hmm. they could have possibly could have, yeah, had they had a chance to shake it up a bit and make them seem, you know, of the world, of the history of the world a bit more. But um, I think this film rate, ranked on the higher end of my negative. I think it was about five and a half I gave out of ten. Yeah. Um, I think kids would enjoy it. It, it. it might get a bit scary when the story enters... Uh, the the it the malevolent part of the planet they're on yeah um, but which I heard um I, I keep referencing other critics because I I do listen to a lot of other critics and yeah uh, Battleship Pretension um Tyler and David both saw the movie and both were on my side I think actually I think they liked it more than I did and one of the things they talked about though was how like in the eighties like you watch Goonies or you watch um, Gremlins there is a general sense that the kids are in danger in those 80s kids movies yeah and that has gone away a lot in modern kids films so like bringing that back was really i mean it did it earlier this year well i guess technically last year where the kids were i felt like they were in severe danger in it and i felt that way here too like i was generally thinking the kids were doomed at times in this movie and uh while that can be scary i think that's it's real you know what i mean i think sometimes we sugarcoat things for kids we don't want them to to think bad things can happen um and I, I think that's i don't think that helps them you know what i mean like we don't want them to live in fear but we also don't want them to think they're invincible like yeah yeah, yeah. there should be like a healthy amount of kind of both that like yes you should live life but be cautious i think any child with any common sense is going to realize that they're not going to get their arm tore off if they look into a drain but yeah. <laughs> it having it on screen obviously having that kind of stakes and peril you know it is only, like I say, in terms of the story, in, in the cinematic story, not in the real, real world, of course, but yeah. it can only be a good thing. It's just life lessons as well, but and that's something that movies do well. But, I mean, I thought I thought A Wrinkle in Time had, it had the potential to be, you know, truly brilliant, fantastic, but I just thought, the for me, the ambition outweighed the execution. It looked good. It sounded good at times. Some of the soundtrack was a bit cheesy, but the actual score, I thought, was brilliant. Um, but it, for them, for me, it just became across as slightly hollow, a bit too generic, um, mm-hmm. and the story just didn't hit me. Yeah, as much I, as I would have liked it to. And I'd say you're in the majority uh, for that movie too. Like most people seem to be down on it. Um, I found a, a, a happiness and a joy with it, um, and it might have been because I, I was a little late to seeing it, and so I'd heard a lot already when I walked in. So I probably walked in expecting to not enjoy it at all, and ended up going the other direction with it because of that. So. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not the worst film you're going to see this year. Far from it, in fact. Yeah. Um, but I had expected more from it and unfortunately just didn't get that. Yeah. But maybe the next film can uh, change our mind. Yeah, uh, well, the next film is Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider. Um, I got to say, I, I'm, I think I'm in hindsight, I like this movie more than maybe while I was watching it even. Um because I've been thinking about it more and more. And one, I I love Alicia Vikander. Um, Agreed. She, she really like brings credibility to a video game movie. And that's not something you can say about too many other video game movies. You know, like, <laughs> um, 
and I I've played uh the old Tomb Raiders, like the ones that the Angelina Jolie movies were based off of. I've only barely started playing the one that this movie is built off of. And, um, but just from what I played, I, I saw a lot of, uh, similarities. Um, what I liked about Tomb Raider, I, aside from Vikander, I really liked the, like the early action set pieces. Um, there's a, the whole part, like when she jumps into the river and then the whole, uh, airplane suspended over the waterfall. Yeah. Yeah. I love that sequence. Um, and before she even ends up being Laura Croft, there's this bike race through, uh, the streets that was really cool. Yet, I feel like the first maybe 20, 30 minutes of the movie could have been trimmed down and shortened and got us to the island a lot faster um, and and really sped the movie up a little bit more because it does it does feel a little long. And especially I think it I think it loses something once she goes into the tomb. And that says something, right? Like, the movie's Tomb Raider. And when she it, starts raiding the tomb, it actually <laughs> ruins the film. Yeah, it's like, oh, maybe we just need her as an action star because she kicks butt as an action star. Like, I was really feeling a lot of the action sequences. But, like, when she solves, like, there's this huge puzzle she has to solve to get into the tomb. And they, yeah. like, montage it. And it's it's kind of doesn't – it doesn't look very difficult. Like, it's <laughs> – it's almost like, man, these other people are really stupid because she did this in like five seconds. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It feels like when she's solving the puzzles, um, it doesn't it doesn't know how to make that cinematic or interesting enough. And there's a, another part where they're like putting crystals in a hole. And when Ugh. she when she finally realizes it, she shouts it out loud for some reason. Like, it just felt so like she wouldn't have done that. Why would she? The green. Like, why? What? <laughs> um, but overall, I, I was still up on this movie. It was way better than I thought um, it was going to be, especially the trailer. Some of the CGI in the trailer looked real bad. And I never thought it looked as bad in the movie um, as it did in the trailer, uh, like her jumping like long distances and stuff. Uh, felt better in the movie than they did in the trailer. So overall, I, I was positive on it. Still a decent watch to me. Um, but yeah, definitely enjoyable. I, I liked Walter Goggins. I didn't like him as much as I wanted to. I thought he would could have been better. Um, I actually like Daniel Wu a lot, except uh, and I, this is kind of a spoiler, I guess. But Daniel Wu's character is separated from Laura for a good chunk of the movie. And at some point, we're like in this tomb... And we just cut to Daniel Wu's character, who's just sitting outside with a gun. That's and, right, yeah. Yeah, I literally leaned over to my friend during that. I was like, and what cut to doing? a different movie. Like, what? Like, what, <laughs> what is this? Like, why are we here right now? It made no sense. Like, we did not need to know what he was doing because he literally was doing nothing but waiting. Like, we didn't need he even to see lo- it. He looked surprised to turn around and see the camera was trained on him. Yeah, like, wait, you're filming this? Take. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed this film. When I saw it, um, I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't think it was the greatest film ever. I think I gave it a 7 out of 10. But I expected it to be, well, rubbish because, yeah. you know, it was one of the better video game adaptations out there. I mean, Definitely. the video game genre is a well-established cesspit. But don't let that put you off this film because it's nothing revolutionary. The Some of the dialogue is some of the worst you'll hear this year. Yeah. Um, as you said, some of the some of the transitions from scene to scene and how they get characters get from A to B is quite frankly ridiculous. Yeah. But it's a, it was a good film. It's rugged. It's a lot more rugged and grittier and grounded than the old, um, two made films, which were kind of cheesy and more yeah. just a vehicle for Angelina Jolie's body. Yeah. But, they um, were. 
Yeah. If so was the old was... game, though. The old game was all about having, you know, Laura Croft had to have huge boobs. Try and get a once, yeah. Yeah, yeah try and get it. Yeah. But yeah, giant nonetheless. And um, uh, one of the things with this film, too, and I, I have to throw it out there because I'm such a big uh, Edgar Wright fan, but Nick Frost showing up for a very small funny. part. Yeah, but he gets, yeah, he's not in it very long, but man, does he steal the scenes when he's there. Like, he's cracking me up and... Um, him and Jamie Winston in that shop. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I, I really like um, that. I, I hope they fit him in more if they get a sequel, because they definitely hinted at a sequel. Um, I'd love for him to become, like, her, uh, like, go-to get Watson gear. Watson Holmes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be amazing, because I am a huge Nick Frost fan, and he needs more work. Well, I'll be interested in whether they get a sequel or whether this will become the franchise, because... Uh, it's got a $94 million budget, and it's made $216 million worldwide. So hmm. it's over budget, and it's broken even, um, but only just. So yeah. I'll be interested. But I like this new iteration. It desperately tries to be taken seriously by taking itself very seriously. Yeah. Um, until they mention things like ancient Japanese ghosts and curses, then I yeah. start it started to get a bit silly. And then when they when and then when the Tomb Raider starts raiding the tombs. Yeah, that's the weakest well, part. It's rushed as well. And some of the narrative, because like the movie opens with that voiceover of Dominique West, uh, who is her dad, explaining what he was after. And then she finds it in the movie. She finds like his hidden really files bad. and they do the same voiceover again. And yeah, I'm like, no. We already heard this. Like, we, we don't need to see her hearing this. Like, we get it. Like The way she found it was so stupid. Yeah, as well. it was. It was real dumb. And how she got from London because she was in Shoreditch, which hasn't been cool for years, but they obviously thought Shoreditch in London was still cool. Okay. Uh, but how she got from Shoreditch to um, Death Island or whatever the heck it's called, um, that was rushed as well. They just yeah. it, the pacing was not good. But no. it's funny because all we seem to be doing is tearing this film to pieces. But it was quite an interest, yeah. interesting film. The best part of it was Alicia Vikander. She's by far the best part. Yeah, um, definitely. The way she went from kind of being vulnerable to an absolute savage was really well done and raw. Unbelievable. Um, like you saw unbelievable, it. Yeah. You, Charming it, and fierce. Opening it with her, like doing the MMA training. I think you see that right away that she's got, even though that does get repurposed cause she can't get out of a sleeper hold in that fight. And like the second that happened, I'm like, this is going to be a plot point later in the movie. And sure enough, um, it, when she became a savage. Yes. But, uh, you you see that in her, like she's got this unyielding determination, and um, that's I think they tried too hard to make this like an origin story, and that's where I think yeah. the pacing really falls apart. It's we didn't need all of the origin, like we could have got like you know she's trying to find her father, blah blah blah. That was enough. Like you don't need all the other backstory to uh to sell us on that she's awesome. Like she shows so much because she's again such a good actress because she can she can turn on the emotion, she can turn on the waterworks. But she's also got a ferocity about her that just is believable. You know, yeah. like you you see it in her eyes. Like, no, don't don't mess with her. She'll kill you. Like, she will totally take you out. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, um, whereas Dominic Wu's just left. Uh, Daniel Wu's just left to sit outside a tomb, yeah. looking surprised. <laughs> um, the plane scene, I think, was the best scene of the whole film. Yeah. Um, but I thought the film was actually worked better when the action was hand to hand, and the and the need for any kind of effects or CGI was minimal. Agreed. Definitely. Um, the CG definitely got shaky at best, but uh, still tolerable. It wasn't the worst CG. We've talked about bad CG a lot in our two episodes so far, <laughs> yeah. and it wasn't the worst one that I've seen. So, 
No, yeah, it didn't. It didn't help at all. I mean, the ending, the end uh, act. Sorry, it was rushed, and some of the CGI was pap. But um, it, uh, I guess you have to look at the budget and what they what they had to work with, and just try and um, just try and pretend that it's all real. But some of it was not very good. Yeah. But it was the, for all of that aside, there was enough here to create an entertaining adventure film. Um, and as I said, it's certainly one of the better video game mainstream video game adaptations out there. So, um, yeah, a very good lead performance. There is there is some fun uh, moment lighter moments in there, especially Nick Frost. Um, yeah. But um, Alicia Vikander, she's very good at those comic moments. I thought Dominic West and um, uh, Walton Goggins were were extremely hammy, but yeah, it worked for the film. But uh, from the bad pacing aside, bad CGI. Um, horrendous dialogue, bad uh, narrative threads. It wasn't a bad film, and the yeah. score was good. I think it's Junk- Junkie XO. That well, I really enjoyed the score. Yeah, somehow the film, despite all the negatives that we pointed out, is still enjoyable. Um, and it we might spoke just about be... more negatives for this film than any of the others. I know, and it's because they are they're glaring. Uh, like I think they're very noticeable, but there's it's the. Laura Croft is a compelling character, and Vikander plays her very, very well. And there's enough good in the movie to to keep it on on a positive feeling. I think by the end. Yeah, I think so. So I think it's fair to say that this movie, uh, we're both on in agreement uh, for the first of the three that it was pretty good. It was entertaining. Mm-hmm. It had a lot of flaws, but it was okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm inter- interested to see where we go for the next film, yeah. Pacific Rim Uprising. It seems um, like we are very divisive on this one. <laughs> I do. Well, I've got to say, I mean, I love John Boyega. He's he's repping the English and the London boys, and his enthusiasm for this movie's been, uh, you know, utterly infectious. Uh, seeing him on social media marketing the film and having so much fun was so much was so good to see. And just before we go into this review, an obvious but a very necessary caveat: this is a film that contains mind-twinning robots fighting aliens that appear from another dimension. So don't take it all too seriously. Yeah, big time, definitely. Yeah, it's um, not. I, I, it's. I wasn't particularly sold on the film. I didn't hate it. It falls into the same category as um, a wrinkle in time for me. That is certainly not the worst film I've seen this year. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy parts of it. It's definitely entertaining, and there are some good moments in it. Um, John Boyega's emphatic, and I thought his chemistry of Kaylee Spaney and Scott yes. Eastwood's great. And I, I think without. Without Boyega, the film sinks into the breach. Big time. Um, I think the first Pacific Rim was better. Um, this oh, yeah. one's big, it's brash, it's loud, it's a bit cheesy, it's a bit dumb at times, but there's nothing wrong with that. But it's still better than every single piece of rubbish the Transformers put out, apart from the first film. Yeah, big time. Uh, one, there's a few reasons for that, too. One, we get to actually see what's happening in this movie. Um in the Transformers film, the and it's a Michael Bay camera style. He has always got so much movement going on that it gets really like just blur of of nauseating. Yeah. yeah, and um, the other thing is, uh, Michael Bay is dumb. Like, <laughs> like he is a sexist. He's slightly oh, well, yeah. racist. Like you get those negative things in your monster movie. Like you have a a, a great you know, Asian actor in your movie, why not put him in a samurai robot? You know, that's not offensive to anybody. Mm. And, you know, oh, these characters are black? Well, we'll make sure they talk extreme slang so that everyone knows. And, oh, we have Megan Fox? Well, let's put her in the shortest shorts possible 
bend her over and we'll just shove the camera right up her butt. <laughs> yeah. Like it is. I also I mentioned in my review that in the last film, which I think was the last night or the part of crap, whatever it's called. Yeah. <laughs> they he even went as far as to sexualize a fifteen-year-old girl. In the oh film. Jesus! And that didn't sit well with me because I think he's a gimp anyway. But yeah, yeah, he's all he's got to do. I wouldn't be surprised if he's homophobic just to make the holy triumvirate. Yeah, yeah, and. This movie has none of those negatives. Like, we have a fairly diverse cast, although they're very yeah. paper-thin. Um, like, our angry Russian girl. Like, that's all she is, <laughs> is an angry Russian girl. We don't really know why she's angry. She just she's is. She's just angry. Yeah. She doesn't like being called Vic or Victoria, one of the two. Yep. Um, but, you know, I loved Kaylee Spaney, I guess is how you say her name. Um, I hope so, yeah. Her and Boyega, man, they the chemistry those two had, which, that just might be Boyega. He just might bring chemistry for everybody because the dude... Made even Scott Eastwood, who is pretty bland, like he's he might be the most vanilla actor in Hollywood right now. <laughs> um, and yet the scenes where Boyega's leading the dialogue, there was almost a charismatic spark in Eastwood. It's still clearly not him, but Boyega's just got so much to give, and he's like the enthusiasm is infectious, like you said. Although you, I think you're talking about more of his promotion of the movie than the movie itself, but. I, just I'm, in the film, yeah. Yeah, I'm just on board with him, man. And um, I went in, all I wanted was to see some cool, like, Power Ranger level fighting in this movie. And they gave that to me. So I was pretty happy. Because um, I, I got real nervous when they mentioned the dro- uh, the drones. And I was yeah. like, oh, God, is this going to be like commentary on drone warfare? But no, it's not. It's not at all. Um, they don't try to say anything about it. Like, yes, they're, it's it's part of the movie. But they don't make any political stances because it's not the movie to do that. It's just it's a dumb sci-fi robot fighting movie. And if you can get your head around just that, it's fairly enjoyable. There's definitely story problems. Um, they make some <laughs> really weird choices with characters from the first films. And I'm saying all of the ones that show up from the first film almost feel like yeah. they didn't need to be there. Like they were. You could have swapped them for anybody else. Yeah. And it almost hurts the first film with what they decide to do with some of the characters. Yeah. Um, and so Good point. those choices are questionable. And I, and I do think the first film is by far superior, but um, I found this as a turn, turn your brain off, watch some, some big, you know, <laughs> like I, I watch UFC from time to time. I don't expect to learn anything when I watch UFC. I'm just looking for an entertaining fight. And that was what I went into uh, Pacific Rim Uprising. And I walked out, feeling pretty good about it like you know like i had a fun time with it um i will say i bring my daughter to a lot of movies um and she she picks and chooses like she doesn't come to every movie with me um but i kind of told her she was coming to this one and i looked over at one point in the movie and her head was almost on the armrest 90 degree angle (laughs) yeah i was like oh she really doesn't like this (laughs) well this is the first film i've seen in a long time where the audience actually like positively cheered at the, at the end credits so I, oh wow i haven't seen that for a long time and it, we're british we don't do stuff like that usually we might <laughs> we might sort of raise an eyebrow in in excitement but people were cheering at the end of it um and i mean positive not because it was over but yeah they were, they were pleased man and i haven't seen that for a long time That's um, i was impressive. concerned during it about how many people were being killed slaughtered by a flailing kaiju tail flick yes. during the huge mindless um, city destruction battles, but I thought it looked good at times. Um, yeah. Sometimes the CGI looked a bit weak when things got going, but um, the main thing I had a problem with was it. Who was it? 
I couldn't work out during it. Was it a kids' film? Was it for adults? Was it for teens? Yeah. It's not. It's not an all-encompassing. It didn't really have a tone to tone to settle on. It had an identity problem, um, and also, oh, Charlie Day was frankly, oh, he was horrible in this yeah. film. He really. And surely after up. the that filled nappy, that was fist fights. He would have learned oh, his acting lesson and stepped up. But I mean, Burn Gorman was also. He wasn't particularly great, and the PPDC cadets looked a bit like Power Rangers. Um, yeah. Which but, I'm okay uh, with that. <laughs> yeah, I thought they looked cool, but Charlie Day, he t- every scene he was in just made me want to gouge my eyes out. It, oh, it, yeah, he really r- almost ruined the film for me. He um, is, um, I, he is an actor. I think he's really fallen into his Always Sunny persona. Yeah, and it he's getting like. There's, like, no subtlety to him at all. And this movie, he really ups it. Like, this is Spinal Tap level turning it <laughs> to 11 uh, hamminess. And, again, I was not expecting anything, so I just kind of laughed it off. But, yeah, I totally sure. I totally can see. And I also suffered through Fist Fight last year, and, oh. my God, that movie was so bad. Um, I think the only scene I laughed at was the uh, talent show sequence in that movie, and... That was not because it was actually well written. It was just I was so shocked at what it was happening. Something <laughs> fun happened. Yeah, I think I'd enjoy me giving birth more than watching that film again. But yeah. about Pacific, um, you know, one of the main things I'm glad about was John Boyega brought back his British accent. Yes, um, and his British accent took down the kaiju. Um, so I I enjoyed that. He, he you know, because I know he's been doing his American accent in pretty much every film apart from Attack the Block. But it was mm. good to hear it back again. Um, and I know he changed some of the script as well because the original script by um, the director's name's Stephen Sean Denight, I think it is. Yeah. Stephen Denight, yeah. His, the original script didn't suit Boyega's British voice because it was using words like awesome and things like that, apparently, which ah. didn't sit right with how an English guy would say it. So he changed, he, that's how he got his producer credit because oh, he basically okay. changed a lot of his words and his story. So when he was saying it in his you know London accent, it didn't sound ridiculous yeah and I, so that, I, I found that interesting i think the my favorite like scene of just like dialogue and not like the big fighting robots was the ice cream sunday scene when he was making the ice cream <laughs> yeah that cracked me up the whole leave me alone with my toppings like <laughs> it's just that's it man i could have eaten that ice cream as well oh yeah 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 totally uh and i i really i enjoyed that whole that was probably my favorite non-robot related interaction but yeah, and there's a moment actually in the film which, when I was watching it, I did think this is a, this is this, that actually looks quite terrifying. It's it involves the um, the kaiju. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess it's not a spoiler to say that they're in the film because they're marketed as being in the film. But yeah, it's the first time you see one attempting to get out of the breach. It actually the way it was filmed looked quite terrifying. Yeah. Um, if if anyone gets a chance to see, it, you'll know what I mean. But it you know they they filmed that really well, but I I agree it when I like the robots I mean I didn't have a problem with the film I guess from an entertainment point of view I I did find it entertaining but if I'm going to look at it with my was it a good movie glasses on then if it, it you know it fell down for me because it's in terms of was it a great film no it wasn't but it was an entertaining film and yeah. again it's definitely not the worst movie you'll see this year but sometimes you do need a film where you can. And I don't mean this um, derogatory, but sometimes you do want a film where you can just switch your brain off and just yeah. watch giant robots smash up I monsters mean, from the sea. I would say this is a B movie, and it, it's yeah. successful as a B movie. 
Um, and I think Charlie Day's villain uh, role in the movie um, <laughs> really pushes that B film, you know, criteria a lot because of his the performance is about twenty years too late, but yeah, um, yeah. it's stuck in the mid nineties. But yeah, but, yeah. So it, as a B movie, I think it's pretty enjoyable. If, if you're, yeah, I agree. If you're like. If, and I don't think this film's trying to be anything more than a B movie. Like I don't. No, think it doesn't it, need to be. Yeah, yeah, and it shouldn't be, um, because it it doesn't have that. Like Del Toro brought Pacific Rim. He brought a monster robot fighting movie to a cinematic audience, and that's mm-hmm. what Del Toro does. He takes genre film and he makes it art house, and that's his. That's what he does. Is like literally, you could say that about almost every one of his films, except for Blade Two, maybe. Um, yeah, and. So when you take him out of Pacific Rim 2 or Pacific Rim Uprising, I knew going in that this was not going to have that that cinematic element. Yeah. And so I, you know, again, taking it as a B film, enjoyed it very much. Definitely not a must see film. But if you like, you know, monsters and robots, come check out Pacific Rim Uprising. Nick, and the film certainly hinted at it. But would you go back to see the third film? Because Mm. I was actually intrigued by their setup for the third film it yeah. did smell a bit like independence day resurgence at the end of that which was an absolute nappy of a film as well toilet block of a movie but i did enjoy if they could how they set the third film up could be quite could be quite an interesting premise if they get it right yeah i think i would be uh i would see it for sure um especially if we get returning boyega and the the girl um, I yeah. think I would be in it uh, for that because I thought they were really good together on screen, and and I love that that's kind of how the film starts that we we meet the two of them together, and instantly I was like oh man I like them as like a buddy cop almost you know yeah, it worked it it did and so if we go into the next movie and they're both back I think I'd be down to see it um, I hope it wouldn't be like the first film where they like because the few characters that we get back I don't think are treated very well in this movie so. Um, and talking about some of that would be spoilerish, so I yeah, believe it there. Yeah, absolutely. There were there were some there were nods to the first film, which were quite nice. But yeah, without going into spoilers, the the, the legacy characters are kind of handled, you know, in a slightly offhand way. But um, yeah, this film I think was also sponsored by Singtel beer because everywhere you looked, there was a poster or a bottle of Singtel beer. Um, is that so a, just is that a popular beer? It's a popular beer in Japan, I think. Okay. Um, I think Singtao is Japanese. Um, I had it once and it gave me gas because it, it was so bubbly. But um, <laughs> if, if you get anyone to go back to watch it, there's just Singtao posters everywhere. Ah. Um, I guess it's their version of something like Budweiser. Yeah, know, I like mean, stock beer. You watch Transformers, boy, you get some uh, some advertising. So no no surprise there. Arrow Rangers, you get some advertising. I really, I wanted oh, a yeah. donut after that. Well, well yeah, was, was it Krispy Kreme? Krispy Kreme. Yeah, that was so out of place. I was like, what's happening? <laughs> like, it was... Then they just kept saying, and what's her name? Rita Repulsa just eating Krispy Kreme yeah. as the world was going to pot. Oh, and man. the And the, was it the center of the universe was underneath Krispy yeah, Kreme. And he thought, there comes a point where you think, okay, there, there's there's kind of Wayne's World style. Um, yeah, parody uh, of And then commercial. there's this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I forgot about that part of that movie. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's let's go to the next film. Um I, what... well, look, this is, I think, this is going to be. This is, I know, the most divisive film between us of this podcast. It is the new Wes Anderson flick, Isle mm-hmm. of Dogs. Uh, would you care to lead? Uh, sure. Um, 
I am a big Wes Anderson fan. Um, during my 366 challenge, I saw the rest of his films that I had not seen, and um, some of those were the some of the bigger ones. Like I had not seen uh, Darjeeling Limited. I had not seen The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, and I had not seen Bottle Rocket, his first film. And I've it's now seen yeah. all of them. Uh, Rushmore, still my favorite Wes Anderson film, and then um, I the think Royal Tenenbaums. You know, I need to rewatch that one. I did like it, but it's not on my top three, and it seems to be in everybody else's top three. I like that. And the Grand Budapest Hotel Grand Budapest. was the last one, so yep. And I also love Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, it's a That's film. incredible. Yeah, I've taught that film for a few years because it's his most accessible, because it is mm-hmm. uh, PG, I believe, or it might be PG-13, but it's still, it's easy to show my high school students without having any concerns of, like, you know, opinions or, like, Moonrise Kingdom makes me uncomfortable because of the, the whole, like, they're in their underwear kissing like teenagers mm-hmm. like i don't really think it's appropriate for me to put that on for like high school students like hey check this out so <laughs> um but fantastic mr fox has none of that we get jason schwartzman again um george clooney meryl streep like it's such a as per usual with him he always has great cast and isle of dogs is no different i mean the cast list which i will not get into but my god the people that are in this movie oh. and some of them with super small parts i mean tilda swinton has like six lines in this movie but she's good but like, she's great i liked her character yeah. yeah um brian cranston i think gives his best performance in on the big screen um i i didn't i would have not had known that was brian cranston because he's so subtle and that's not usually how cranston comes to a role he's usually big and over the top Brash, and, yeah, and yeah, and brash, and I thought Chief was so soft spoken, and um, I I feel I connected with him a lot. The character of Chief, um, I I had a, a very strong connection to him, and I don't know if I, if I'm projecting my own dogs onto these characters and thinking like, what if this is how my dog feels, you know? And <laughs> it's definitely possible. I definitely seem to project my own experiences onto movies a lot. Um, I keep referencing like being a father and things like that, and. Um, I, I definitely think that could play a role. Uh, I love Jeff Goldblum in this movie and the constant, uh, I heard a rumor, um, and Bill Murray, I am a huge fan of, I thought Edward Norton was really good. Um, Greta Gerwig's character was interesting. I, I have read several articles about the, uh, the appropriation of the Japanese culture and how mm-hmm. it's not treated fairly and that our Japanese characters are kind of kept at a distance and, I get that, and I see a lot of the points. I I didn't feel that when I was watching the movie, though, which is on me, and I don't feel good about that. Like I like as a white guy, I'm like, well, maybe I should have noticed that more. Maybe it should have bothered me more than it did. But I feel like I I feel like it's unfair to expect a writer to write from a perspective that they don't have. Um, Wes, yeah. Wes Anderson is a white American male, and he is a very hipster white American male at that. Your too. Yeah, and so he's he is writing from the perspective that he's been able to experience. And a lot of the Japanese elements of the film are paying homage to the Japanese filmmakers that he's experienced. That's why they are wearing the samurai-type clothing. Uh, Kurosawa, be- wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's not because he thinks Japanese people are samurais now. It's because he was specifically referencing films from that time period where that's how Japanese culture was depicted. And I I know not everyone's going to get that. And I'm not defending it. I don't think anyone who's saying that it's wrong is wrong. I think they make (laughs) very good points. But I'm trying to, like, I didn't see that when I was watching it. I was pulled into the story. I did get connected to the characters. I didn't feel distant, even from Atari. I never felt a distance from him. But to me, Anderson wanted us to be focused on 
the dogs as our main character. The only conflict with that is Tracy, which is Greta Gerwig's character, because she gets, being a white girl in Japan, the fact that we are connected to her as a person, and yet all the other major characters are at a distance because of the language barrier, is a little controversial, I think, more so than anything else. But at the end of the day, I had a really good time with this movie. Uh, The more I've reflected on it, the more I find little things that I just really love, the quirkiness that Anderson brings to the movie. Um, I love the hybrid animation styles that he predominantly it's claymation, but there are moments where we get 2d animation, like on the TV screens and stuff. And I just thought it looked awesome. Um, and yeah, I just, it's such a crazy production, um, to do stop motion like that. And I, I think he does it so well. Um, and his, the repetition of certain types of shots and things like that, that you see in the movie, it's just, he's such an expert filmmaker um, I wish there was no controversy. And again, I'm not saying the controversy is wrong. I just mm-hmm. wish it wasn't there because I think we could appreciate the film more if, if he had maybe not said it in a futuristic Japan that seemed to think that the future was in the past. You know, like, <laughs> it is at odds with itself in that way. But um, I still, I found, I, we were at a big screening. It was a opening, like, free screening that three different companies had given out passes. There was a separate section just for critics um, so it was a packed house. I think there was one row of seats empty in the in the theater, and everyone seemed predominantly up on it. I heard a few people saying some negative things about it, but um, my my friend group, I think we had eight people at this movie, and we were all really up on the film and all really we we stood outside talking for like twenty minutes about how much we enjoyed it. So um, I know though from what I saw of your review, you are on the opposite end of the spectrum. I I like Wes Anderson's films. I think he's a I think he's a. I'd even go to say he's an underrated filmmaker because I, when I talk to people about top filmmakers, I never really hear his name mentioned. Yeah. But he's got such a fantastic eye for making films, and like you said, some of the shots in this film were great. It before I go into anything else, it I, I would fight anybody who denies that this doesn't look like a fantastic movie in terms of the visuals. Mm-hmm. I think the animation is probably the best of its kind that there's ever been, wow. in terms of this kind of stop motion. Yeah. Um. That being said, um, I didn't like the movie. I <laughs> could couldn't. I thought I thought the movie was about forty five minutes too long. Um, it would have worked as a fantastic, great short film, but it was stretched to breaking point too early. The character you mentioned, that Greta Gerwig voiced, I think you could have probably just got rid of her arc altogether. Yeah, um, I think. Although well, I love um, Greta Gerwig, so I'm still like no, but you're right. There's that side of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The voice acting's good. It's strong. There's not. There's no complaints about that at all. Goldblum and Murray are great, and I love Goldblum's character mm-hmm. having, you know, the more humorous moments. And all he ever says about is rumors, rumors, yeah. rumors. And where does he get them from? Yeah, I love um, when Bill Murray asks, like, "Where do you hear these?" He's like, "I yeah. listen. I listen to people." <laughs> That's it. So that that side of it, I I I like those little moments, and the dialogue, obviously, intentionally being kept in the native tongue, it gave that authenticity to the film. And kind of put us in the shoes of, or the paws of the dogs, because they don't understand. And the, I liked how they translated it via the, like the TV translator and the machinery and what and whatnot. And that Francis was good. McDormand doing the translation was pretty crazy. Exactly. To think, and like you've mentioned some of the names and Leif Schreiber as well. Um, yeah. In it, I, what the, the bit I enjoyed the most was just trying to work out which one was Cranston and which one was Schreiber. Um, uh in the movie as that was what i enjoyed the most out of it but where i mentioned that pacific rim had people clapping and cheering 
for, for the first time in years during this film i saw a couple of people just get up and leave halfway oh, wow. through um i mean i didn't think i was never in any danger of getting up and leaving i've, I've never done that in any film but it just it just didn't grab me i found it i was disconnected with the characters quite early on because there wasn't a lead protagonist to hold on to straight away i didn't find so i hmm. didn't find any connection with the characters i wasn't really compelled by the story as i said it went on to it just went on for too long for me um it looked great. It sounded great. I just could. There was nothing I got out of it which really, which really excited me, apart from a few, few small moments here and there. Um, but I, this was a disappointment for me because after, I mean, after certainly after his last animation film, the superb, fantastic Mr. Fox, this to me felt like a completely different filmmaker in terms of the quality. Mm. Um, whereas that film was excellent. I, I didn't think this film was, and from what I've been reading and seeing. I'm in the huge minority, I think, because a lot of people have taken a lot out of it, whether that's because they like Wes Anderson as a director-filmmaker, whether that's because they took it on a personal level because of the dogs or whatnot, yeah. or just they just liked it as a film. Um, yeah. I just couldn't I just couldn't get into it. Um, I, you, I wanted to. Are you a cat person, Matt? <laughs> no, I don't like cats. They, they, they make me sneeze, and they, they ah. are arrogant little things, but they... <laughs> They they push their bowl over to you, then they they go out all day, then they come back in expecting to be fed. Yeah. Um, I, I I used to have a dog. I I love dogs for the most part, but I just couldn't get into this film. Yeah, it was just something. I just there was something missing for me, which I really and I really wanted to like this film because um, it came out on the 29th and on the 30th, sorry, over here in the UK, and I went out to see it in an early screening. Um, I was looking forward to it, but I left just feeling tired and just disappointed now i i have to say and i i don't mean to project onto you either but i know that when i saw shape of water for the first time i went to like a 12 o'clock screening and i don't think i was up for the movie that i was watching and i walked out <laughs> i i walked out feeling confused because i'm like i know what i just saw is great but it doesn't feel great like i don't feel attached to this movie at all i felt very distant from it and <clears throat> um i wonder you know if maybe seeing it a second time could could find that connection because i definitely found connections um to latch on to this movie and i didn't even i've heard some interpretations of this film like about xenophobia and things and i never even i took this very much on the surface of like dogs dogs that can talk i like dogs and yeah um, i took the political things from it and sort of some of the more timely messages that the, the of the arcs of the characters i got that out of it but the shape of water i'd be more likely to come around to that because that was another film I think I gave it about six and a half out of ten. I thought it was okay, and then it went on to win Best Picture. So what do I know? Yeah. But um, <laughs> or what do they I know? Just, Who knows? <laughs> I'm right, guys. Yeah, I don't know. This film, like I said, it it was just for me. It, it was a very good short movie, but it I thought the narrative was overly stretched at being an hour and forty minutes long. I thought it was just too long. I I, I can't see myself ever rushing back to watch it, which yeah. is a shame because. I was so excited to see it, obviously because of the director and filmmaker attached to it. The voice casting is something else. Um, I loved the look of it, but I liked everything about it apart from the film, apart from the story. Yeah, that's sad, man. And, you know, I, I totally can respect that. And um, I'm definitely, I could be wrong. I, I might be, I am a, a bit of a Wes Anderson fanboy. I think I, partly because not enough people non-film people don't seem to know who he is 
Exactly, and, yeah. And so I, I constantly find myself like, you've never seen Rushmore? You have to watch Rushmore. I like I love Rushmore. Rushmore is like a near perfect film for me. I can rewatch it over and over again. I love Schwartzman in it. I love Bill Murray in that movie. I oh man. And talk about a breakout performance for Schwartzman in that film. Like it's ridiculous. Oh, for sure. and so I do I do come to like the Wes Anderson battle cry. Um I like I do like his films. It's just yeah. this one was this is I think that's why I was so I don't want to use the word crush, but so disappointed because I so nice, I love the Royal Tenenbaums and the Darjeeling Limited and the Life Aquatic, um, and, you know, and he's a great mm. collaborator. Collaborator, Bill Murray. Yeah, For the most, every film I've watched of his, I've enjoyed or appreciated. And I think that's why I was so disappointed with this one because I just didn't get anything out of it. Whereas before, I'm usually on board with everything apart from his yeah. haircut. I'm usually on board with everything he does. <laughs> yeah, you know, I. I don't know if the the conversation I had, I walked out, I would have given this a, my not quite golden rating when I walked out of the movie, but talking with my friends for a while, um, and then really thinking, cause I didn't write my review when I got home that night. It was a long night. I wrote it the next day. And by the time I wrote it, I decided to go must see. Um, okay. It, it pushed me up and I don't know if, uh, if that was from maybe their, their optimism like rubbed off on me or, I was just, I think I really sat and like thought about the moments that I loved from the movie because I did have issues with parts of it and um, some of the narrative choices. And at the same time, I, I also like his nonlinear structure where we jump back with flashbacks and those things. I, I was into that. He hasn't really dabbled with that very much. Um, and so I, I liked the approach. And I think I just, by the time I got to it, I just found maybe even for like purposely erase the bad parts and, and embrace the good. <laughs> um, just to be, you know, I, I do, it has, a, it's like a 81 on Metacritic right now. And um, it's about yet, 98 or something of like that and Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And yet I, a lot of the critics that I listen to, I've heard mainly negative things from, so it's really interesting oh, wow. to me. Um, like uh, slash film was heavily down on the movie. Um, I have not listened to the, um, film spotting um podcast yet but they just released their episode and i know one of the guys on that show is like really really big wes anderson fan so i'm curious yeah, yeah. to hear what he has to say and then not that uh, i'd ever apologize for my ratings or opinions but i thought i was the only one so i'm quite glad that there are others out there yeah no i've i've heard um some like uh and it, again a lot of it does tie back into the appropriation um angie han wrote a really really good piece um i think it's on mashable about the appropriation and uh it's you know it's basically her saying that anderson tried to do something really good but there's so much that he does wrong that it cancels out the good um Mm -hmm. so yeah there's there's other out there but it does if you look at just the aggregators it looks like this movie's near perfect but if you listen to some individuals some really strong arguments are being made as to why it's not as good as those people saying it and i think that's also going to be true for general audience opinions of the yeah. next and last movie that we're about to talk about just before we go into that i would like to say that i did rank isle of dogs higher than 50 shades freed mutes uh, and winchester oh, so yes. uh that is a success in my eyes <laughs> um so yeah as you've mentioned the the sixth and last film and by no means least um is probably one of the most anticipated releases of the entire year i'd go as far as to say yeah um the apparent return of a man who's been cranking out movies for the last decade but um ready player one steven spielberg's ready player one um as i said the world is screaming that steven spielberg is back but 
I don't know where he went. I don't, the, the, yeah, the, the post, yeah, the BFG, Bridge of Spies, Lincoln, you know, your favourite war horse. Uh. They, they just never happen. I mean, he had a quick restroom break and then he's come and made Ready Player One. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not quite sure where they came from. but And I will put this out right now. I am a Spielberg supporter. Like, I, I love, I mean, Jurassic Park is in my top five all time movies and Jaws really could be in that list, too. Yeah, um, I am a huge Spielberg fan, and I, I I love I've missed several. I still haven't seen Munich, and I hear great I gonna, things about Munich. I um, was going to say Munich is one of the ones that nobody talks about, but it is powerful. And I haven't seen AI, um, which I've I've heard mixed things about, but it's one that I the history of AI alone that it was a Stanley Kubrick script that then Spielberg mm-hmm. uh, finished and made. I, I need to see it just for that reason and the dream team almost. Yeah, and but I I generally like his films. Um, I didn't see BFG. Uh, I I went to see BFG and then while we were in the movie, the first like ten minutes of the film, uh, we found out that our house had been broken into and we had to leave oh, and come home and deal with that. So uh, that was kind of All a nightmare. Yeah. yeah, and I don't want to see it now because I associate that the memories. Yeah, yeah. So um, everybody I spoke to didn't like it apart from um, my scintillating misses. Who um who said it was she really enjoyed it so um the you know the one person who gives me the most chatter said it was brilliant so I take her word for it. But I think uh, I want you to start on Ready Player One. So what were your thoughts on uh, Spielberg's newest film? Um, it's a nostalgia hound's utter dream. It's the first thing I say. It's if you love pop culture yeah. and video games and nostalgia, there's a high chance you're gonna absolutely love this. Um, I love pop culture, video games, nostalgia, but I didn't love the film. Um, I thought it was just okay. Um, it was great to see the, the DeLorean, uh, the Iron Giant, and the the horror scene, shall we say, in it. Yeah. That was the best part of the film for me. I don't know if we're going to go into that or not. But, I don't think we uh, should, but I completely no, agree. <laughs> that was by far the best part of the film. I don't know. It's, I, I, I liked it. Um but I had a problem with some of the characterizations. I thought they were they were very thin. Uh, I thought Ty Sheridan and Olivia Cook were solid. Yeah. But and but so part of their chemistry was slightly forced. Ben Mendelssohn was a devil as the villain, but he had a. I thought he was a very sort of Scooby Doo villain. He literally yeah, would yeah. have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling kids. <laughs> um, he literally would have done. It. I don't. I, it, I thought I thought the story was lacking something. It's not a bad story. It just didn't grab me like I hoped it would. Certain parts felt rushed. Some yeah. of the CGI looked incredible, but at times it became too much for me because um, a lot of the film, as the trailers have marketed, is kind of like CGI photorealism, like the old Final Fantasy films. Yeah, that yeah. got a bit wearisome for me. Eventually, um, I also wondered as well whilst watching it, how many of the younger people who are watching it would understand the references because it spanned about three or four decades the, the references but i wonder if people under the age of kind of 20 18 would understand a lot of them because a lot of it was rooted in the 80s yeah so i'm i'm intrigued by by that but i don't know it was i found a lot of the time i was looking out for the references more than being invested in the film which and i thought it it sagged a bit in the middle um the end act was good, but some of the characters made questionable decisions, which kind of didn't feel. It didn't feel like the same character, shall we say? 
Hmm. Um, and I thought there wasn't really, and also another thing that bothered me, there wasn't any prevalent messages. I was waiting yeah. for some real messages about the digital age and you know the, this dependent world we live in. And there was a kind of a, um, admonition at the end, but yeah, it felt like a bit of a missed opportunity. But it's... I might sound like I'm banging on at the film. I did enjoy the film, but I just didn't like it, uh, enjoy it as much as I'd hoped I would. This is a movie for me that I was more up on when I saw it, but now I've heard so many people raving about it that mm-hmm. I'm I feel like I have to start being more critical because I have an issue with people elevating a film to greatest of all time. Yep. When it's just really good. And the Avatar is the biggest for me. Avatar is a fine movie. It's like in the middle. It's a five out of ten. It's a two and a half out of five. And yet it has more money ever. And it got elevated by people. It's like, oh, it's because it's pretty. And it's no. And I feel like Ready Player One is going to enter that territory just based on the – like I enjoyed it a lot. I walked out feeling (laughs) very excited. There were so many cool moments we get to see in the race sequence that you see in the trailer. The DeLorean. The Batmobile, the 66 Batmobile, which is the best Batmobile, and <laughs> anyone says otherwise, they are wrong. It is it is the best, and you get to see those, and then the Akira light, the bike, which I'm not, I can't sit here acting like I was some big Akira fan, but I know that bike. Yeah. Um, and, and the Bigfoot, even Monster Truck was really cool, and... Um, I can tell how excited you're getting just yeah. thinking about those old references. Yeah, it, it's a great sequence. I love that sequence. And then, as we've now dubbed it, the horror sequence, which we will... Oh. I was I was literally so excited. I was like nerd clapping, like little tiny yeah. like golf claps, like oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And they and got it so right as well. They did, and it looks so impressive because it looks like the real world, yet you have these CG characters in it, and it. I think certain parts of it were was the actual footage because it's it was it, um, yeah because the studios are I think maybe the same, but um, yeah they they got that right, and it looked so good together. I was so impressed with yeah. the cg in that sequence um and it was funny and it was also scary like there were moments in that sequence that i'm like yeah, yeah. oh my god they still have that horror and um i obviously think i think that's a big spielberg easter egg in and of yeah. itself like using that particular idea um mark i think it happened at the right time for me by the way because it was kind of in the middle of the film where i thought it was starting to sag a bit and yeah. that kind of elevated it just that bit for me it does and i think it carries i think it kind of it's downhill from that point, but in like a positive way. Like it's, it's like going, like you've been climbing to the top of the mountain. That is the peak. And then you, you ski down the rest of the way. It's like, it's a fun ride. There's some other bumps and, and things along the journey. But one, I think, I think Spielberg has found a muse in Mark Rylance, um, as his last yeah. three films has featured. Garth him. Algar. Um, and man, oh yeah, dude, he totally feels like Garth <laughs> in this movie. Um, I, I didn't even recognize it was Rylance, though, until afterwards. I was like, oh, my God. Like, um, I really liked him in the movie. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard Simon Pegg use an American accent before. Um, I commented that they should have just used Michael Sheen for that act, for that part because he looked like him. Um, and did. I would have and I would have believed it more had it been Michael Sheen. Because uh, I couldn't. I Simon Pegg, his hair, the way he sounded it. I knew it was Simon Pegg and it just sounded just looked up it just sound, it came across as off i i will uh, this is a, again this is a an, an admission on my part if simon Pegg or nick frost are in something i'm probably just gonna love yeah. it because i am such big fans of the edgar wright films 
that I I love Simon and I love Nick Frost. So even I, even the film they did Paul. Yeah, I like Paul. I I, like I find I, I sure it's it's a Seth Rogen movie, so it drops it several you know well <laughs> pegs. Um, but ah, I find well yeah it was there. Um, I I still I find great joy and some very funny moments in that movie, uh, despite it being you know questionable at best. Um, also <laughs> big Jason Bateman fan. And yes. he's great in that. And then there's the twist with yeah, there's some good stuff in Paul. Let's not let's not throw that under the bus. But um, I was happy to see Simon Pegg in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought uh, I'm, I'm a big Olivia Cook fan. Um, she was yeah. great in Thoroughbreds that came out this month as well. And uh, I like seeing her getting this type of big, big exposure because I think only indie people know who she is because of me and her on the dying girl. Um she was in the Limehouse Golem last year, which I didn't like as a film, but she was the best part of it. Oh yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't think I'm even aware of that movie, and that's that makes me sad in myself. <laughs> but um, I, I definitely, I really like this movie. I, I would say it was not a must see um, unless you are a nostalgia fiend, and then it's yeah, definitely um, it is for sure because there's so. I mean, they make a a Buckaroo Banzai reference. Yeah, and I'm like, I know that only because of my top five partner Mike. Mike is a huge Buckaroo Banzai fan, and I watched it this year, I think, uh, or within the last six months, um, because of him. And I'm like, who is that Easter egg for? Like, that's that's uh, for like the hardcore. I think they even reference that as a deep deep cut in the film as well. Yeah, and because it's a connecting point between the two characters. Because yeah, yeah. if she's really as cool as she says she is. She'll know this, and she, of course, does. And I'm like, I'm looking around the theater like, does anyone else know what this is? Because <laughs> I would be very impressed. Um, well, that's what I'm saying. And that, and that is more of a, like you say, a more of a, well, again, a deep cut. But as I said before, how many of the, without meaning to sound like younger viewers don't know anything about the past, but yeah. I just wonder how many references went over people's head and what enjoyment, you know, somebody who's 16 might get out of the film compared to those who are in our 30s or and older yeah yeah for sure um but yeah i i liked it um i actually saw it twice because i went wednesday night for the premiere and then my daughter wasn't able to come and she really wanted to see it so we went yesterday and saw it you had a special t-shirt on as well didn't you i did i had my ready player one shirt that i got from (laughs) uh lootware um which is really cool because it's the stacks but the stacks are shaped and colored to make it look like an arcade cabinet um which i really really like the shirt a whole lot it's probably my favorite lootware shirt to date although i also have a pacific rim uprising shirt because of them uh, so yeah, um, two of yeah. our Mark movies, uh, but I, I, I definitely like the movie. I do, I do fear that it's going to get elevated to like this high. It's not Jaws and it's not Jurassic Park. No, it's not one of his. You know, it's not one of Spielberg's top tier films. I don't no. think. And I'm, I'm, I'm very much aware that both of those two movies are more popcorn films. They're not Schindler's List, which is really, if we're talking about, like, look how great yeah. a filmmaker he can be, Schindler's List needs to be probably number one. Saving Private Ryan's up there, you know. Um, but for me... Amistad? I haven't seen Amistad. Um, He's but, fantastic. But for me, when I look at Spielberg, I am a fan of his popcorn-type movies. E.T., uh, Close Encounters. I mean, God, the guy has made... I hate that Spielberg, it feels like he's not respected as an auteur because his movies are so different. But come on, man. The dude is, is a master at what he does. I, I don't think you'd... I'd struggle to find anybody who could sit there and say, oh, I don't like him as a filmmaker because yeah. the the breadth of films and di- variety and diversity shown 
appeals to everybody. Yeah. I mean, the guy who did Schindler's List, yeah, also did E.T. He also did the BFG, and you yeah. know, the guy who did Amistad did Jurassic Park and Jaws, it's, and this film crazy. and War Horse. Horse, your, uh, your favourite things, I'm going to keep saying. Um, <laughs> for anybody out who doesn't know, JB hates horses for no other reason than he just doesn't like them. I don't like them in movies. I don't know what it is. I honestly he doesn't cannot... like their long noses. It's, that's, it, they freak me out, man. They're, it's in their eyes. Um, yeah, but... they're coming for you, man. Yeah, you know. But yeah. I, I liked Ready Player One. It sounds like you also were positive on it, but I don't think either of us think this is a revolutionary film. So those yeah. of you out there who are like acting like this is the best movie ever made, please calm down a little bit. Like you can enjoy. Or tell this. us why. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or tell us why, but you can enjoy this movie and not use hyperbole to express your idea. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. a it's a fun movie. It does, and Spielberg's even come out and basically said that like this is not a film; it's a movie. He's distinctively calling it a movie to emphasize that it doesn't have a message like you said it's not trying to yep. say anything revolutionary and the message that they do kind of tack on at the end about yeah. technology is just that it's tacked on at the end it's definitely not the lesson that the characters learned um i mean i guess they learn it but they learn it through really specific expositional dialogue and then just apply it like there's no real you know tragic story and and there are there's some parts in this film like with storytelling the, the whole aunt and uh boyfriend thing at the beginning of the movie is so pointless and such a waste of time that at all, yeah yeah it could be trimmed out and and save you know speed because it's two hours and 20 minutes but there's still gaps in the story where it feels like we jump way too far like from the some s- bits are very rushed yeah from the second key to the third key it literally they jump with like this really throwaway. Oh, and by the way, this happened. Like <laughs> yeah. what? <laughs> like, yeah, I think major... you were a bit more up on the film than I was. I yeah, I liked it. I thought it was. I thought it was just okay. Yeah. Um, but I I really wanted. To, I really wanted to like this. Um, but I just found that it was well acted, but the characters just didn't have any development, and the story wasn't the most inspired. And partly that some of that was also due to the fact that they spent so long trying to work out how to get this first key and then the second and third ones were just kind of oh do this do that and then the th- and then but yeah when they get to the third one you think oh bloody hell really yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, what i did like was the humor i thought that they got that yeah. really and surprisingly tj miller was you know one of the better parts of the um the lighter parts of the movie because yeah. i have issues with him sometimes um, I think he can be good, but he can also be excruciating, like he was in Goon, Last of the Enforcers. Oh, I didn't know he was um, in that. He's uh, oh, he, he make, he'll, he'll make you want to put your head through the screen. Oh man! But I thought that I thought the humor was good. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, um, agreed. I, I laughed a lot. Um, I actually was laughing more. Uh, not the, I didn't laugh more the second time, but like I noticed where I was like the only one laughing out loud at, <laughs> at points, and I was like, "What are you guys not getting the jokes? Like, what's happening?" <laughs> There's there's one again. I won't I won't say anything because it will it gives away something. But there's one towards the end when they're having the massive, you know, when there's a big coming together of every single pop culture reference in the world. Yep. There's one involving another horror character, which was just which oh, is only yeah. lasts about ten seconds. But it, I that that got the biggest laugh out of me just the way it was played. Yep, and, and also I didn't expect it, that. it gets the uh, the one f bomb the PG thirteen. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. exactly the one. You know which one I mean. I, I thought that was brilliant. Um, yeah, it was. And also, I've got a fondness for posters with purple on it, and I thought the purple in this film was superb. Yeah. Uh, it looked, uh, color-wise, it was a 
beautiful movie to look at for, for the most part. But yeah, it, it's just the story let me down and the character development. I love Ben Mendelsohn, but I thought he was a bit stupid in this film. His character was, uh, it was intentional, I think, to kind of make him a bit inept, but it was a bit Scooby-Doo for me. I haven't read the book, but I have heard a lot that there was an awful lot of changes from the book to yeah. to kind of, the book's a lot darker, I think. I've thought I've heard. I, I just bought the book, um, like literally after, I think I, we bought it before my daughter saw it and she stole it. She's already reading it. She took oh. it. So I'm gonna have to wait till she finishes, but um, I actually might I might buy the audiobook though because Will Wheaton reads it and cool. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of him, so I'm like, oh man. Um, but I think that concludes our our six reviews. Um, yeah, but is there anything else you saw this month? Um, just to give a kind of quick thumbs up yeah. to or thumbs down. I really liked Love Simon. Um, I get to see that it doesn't come out till beginning of April over here. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's see, it's weird because I'm already getting like emails to like pre-order it for the digital copy, um, oh, wow. and I'm like, wow, is it doing that bad? Because it, it's it's got a really positive critic score. Um, I found it to be very very funny and very endearing. Um, Thoroughbreds, I enjoyed a whole lot. It, it made me sad because I I love Anton Yelchin and I hate that he's dead. Rest in peace. Yep. Um, but Anya Taylor Joy and Olivia Cook in Thoroughbreds are amazing. Um. And it's such a simple movie because it's predominantly shot in just a few rooms, but mm-hmm. man, it works. And it was I'm a, looking forward to that. Yeah, my I actually I took my 14 year old with me to see it, um, and she was I, I think kind of overjoyed with how interesting <laughs> the film was because it, it is it's crazy like it's a crazy movie, but really really good. Totally the trailer made it out to be pretty crazy. Again, it doesn't come out until the first week of April over here. So ah man, I'm looking forward to that one. Well, I thought I was going to miss that one because it, it did not come to my local theater. I had to drive 40 minutes and <laughs> it, it came to that theater um, while I was at South by and I didn't think it would survive two weeks and it did. So I made an effort to go see it. Like I literally got back from South by on Saturday and then dragged my daughter to see it on Sunday um, because I was like, I'm not taking a chance of missing this. <laughs> and uh, I, I was very happy that I did. I liked it very much. So those are, I think, the only two other movies I saw in the theater this month. Um mm-hmm. Thumbs up to both. I, I caught, um, in terms of the UK releases I, for March, I caught Game Night, and I thought that was pretty I, funny. I like that. I didn't, yeah, I didn't mind that. It was okay. Um, I uh, Roman J. Israel Esquire came out over here, and oh. I thought that was absolutely abysmal. I've heard it's really um, bad. Yeah. Wonder Wheel, the Woody Allen film, I enjoyed that a lot. Mm. Uh, Nick Cage and Mum and Dad came out. Oh. I thought that was abysmal as well. Oh, man. I, I want to see that. I've heard it's... I've heard it's, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's proper B movie, and it's it. If you if you like Nick Cage just losing his mind, then you're which I do. There are moments in this where he goes back to classic Cage. Mm. Um, so that's that was probably the only good thing about it. It's got actually that's a lie. It starts off really well. I like the first half an hour when they're kind of setting it up, and there's this really quite cool mystery about what the hell is actually going on. Ah. When it gets revealed, it's I didn't like it, um, and then. As mentioned, Paco Plaza's Veronica on Netflix. Uh, I need to see and that. I've been turned on by the fact that it was apparently the scariest movie of all time. It was another one of those films, like you mentioned, mm. which has kind of been held up in this esteem, which it isn't worthy of. But I found that to be pretty atmospheric. It's I like him as an, a director anyway. He did the Rex series and a couple of other films. Um, if you get a chance to check it out on Netflix, watch it if you can get past the subtitles which i think most people should be able to yeah really enjoy it um and the fitness the 
the fear is actually in the atmosphere and the and the slow pacing. So you don't even need to know what they're saying. It's apparent. Okay. So they're the um, films I caught up on this month. And there's an awful lot coming out next month too to look forward to. Yep. Uh, we're looking forward to doing this episode uh, in a month. Um, Absolutely. That's, April's got some stuff, but man, we're, May, June, July, they're looking packed. Um, so I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. Now. Yeah. This this, yeah. this year is crazy. Some of the – like there's so many like indie directors getting new releases this year too that I keep like finding out. Like Lenny Abrahamson who did Room and Frank has a mm-hmm. movie coming out at the end of August. Um that I didn't know about and it's a horror movie. So he's like, he keeps changing genres. Uh, so I'm really curious to see how that one plays. And I mean, j- this year, 2018 is hoping it's going to keep, you know, cause on the other hand, a lot of movies that I've been excited for have not been as good as I wanted them to be. Yeah. And then there's films like rampage coming out next month, oh, which God. may actually be too. We've, we've, uh, we've given Pacific Rim, kind of given them a pass. You certainly have given them a pass yeah. for being that kind of movie, but Rampage does just look just terrible. But it's, it's a B I thought that was Jumanji, game. and I enjoyed that. True, true. So, um, well, I think that's just about that for this episode of the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. Uh, John, where can the world find you on the internet? You can find, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Burke Reviews, and, of course, you can read all my reviews at BurkeReviews.com. Awesome, and you can find me at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk, W-I-W-T underscore UK on Twitter, um, What I Watch Tonight on Instagram. Go on iTunes and search for the What I Watch Tonight show, and you'll see a heck of a lot of supreme podcasts on there. Um, So check out my work, check out John's work, and between that, you won't need to listen to anything else. Never Um, again. (laughs) Exactly. Any final words, John? Uh, No, just I say um, keep reading what we're doing, and if you uh, like what we do, Please share us, support us, and we try to do the same. I think we, we're both pretty good about um, supporting other film reviewers and filmmakers. Yeah, and there's nothing better about doing this and having people you know, want to talk talk to you about it, whether they liked your opinion or not, or just want to talk films. You know, yeah, Just do exactly. it. We're always here, unless I'm asleep, but then I'll get back to you in the morning. Um, <laughs> well, that's that. So then until next time, keep watching those movies, and don't forget to stay bloody awesome. Bloody, 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 bloody